0: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. The Israeli ground evasion has reportedly begun as Israel repeated its order for civilians to head to the south of Gaza. Colonel Ira Goren said Israel are planning to increase dramatically the amount of assistance coming in from Egypt. But many people in Gaza cannot move from their locations further north. Liberal Democrat MP Leila Moran spoke to Victoria Derbyshire about the three generations of her family who have been sheltering in a church since an IDF bomb hit their house. There are frail people who cannot travel down roads which have also been bombed. Moran said the conversation has changed in Gaza. People no
1: longer talk about where to go to be safe, but where they want to be if the worst happens. Leila Moran, let me ask you, first of all, you have family in Gaza City. Uh, Tell us
2: about them. Um, so this is extended family on my mother's side, my mum's Palestinian, my dad's British. Three generations in the first week of the um, following the atrocities that were committed by Hamas on October the 7th, uh, an IDF bomb hit their house um, and they went to their local church were Christian Palestinians and they've been there ever since. There are 100 people now in that church and we are deeply, deeply worried for their safety. When I spoke to you yesterday
1: on the phone, you had not been able to contact them because of the blackout. Have you now?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, the the 24, 48 hours where the internet and everything else was cut was tortuous. I mean, not knowing if they were dead or alive. We're worried for them anyway. Uh, And I can't tell you what that did to us as a family. Um, And we have heard since, because uh, someone in the church has a, a foreign SIM which can connect to the Israeli networks, has put out a message saying that, for now, they're safe. I would say a couple of things, though. First of all, I mean, I heard the Secretary of State just now suggest that, you know, it's Hamas that's stopping them from leaving. That is not what's happening. I find it deeply offensive to suggest that Hamas is giving my family any kind of marching orders. That's not, they have nothing to do with Hamas. The reason they're there is because it's three generations. One is frail. You've got 11-year-old twins. And so they they can't, are move. Bom- they can't move. There's okay. bombing in the South. There was bombing on the so-called safe route that they were given to get to the south. Nowhere in Gaza is safe. And, Victoria, the conversation in Gaza now, I'm afraid to say, has changed. No longer are people saying, where do we go to be safe? The question they are now asking is, where do we want to be when we die? Oh, my God. And, that, and I'm not... I'm not I'm, this is not hyperbole. This is very much what, not just from them, but their f- friends and family that we are in touch with. It is... I cannot overstress the situation. So when I hear from the government that they want to minimise civilian casualties, I have to say to them that they are failing. The strategy of the UK government, America, and and what they are essentially sanctioning in the way that Israel is responding. Israel has every right to respond. And I agree, if it was us, we would respond too. Mm -hmm. But how they respond is so important because at the end of this, we want to get to a point where we don't see this kind of carnage ever again. Which and is... we need to get to that two-state solution. That's what we have to aim for. And before that, you're calling for a ceasefire. A humanitarian ceasefire. What to does that get... mean? So to, to, it's actually not dissimilar from where the government is. We want to get aid in, we want hostages out. But where I would say we are different is we do think there needs to also be political space to take the temperature down. We're seeing escalatory language from the Israeli government at the moment. We need to take the temperature down and create space for those talks that will eventually lead to the ceasefire that I know so many in this country desperately
0: want. Calls have been growing for a humanitarian pause to allow aid into Gaza and negotiate the release of the hostages, but Israel does not seem inclined to do so. Science Secretary Michelle Donnellan repeated that Israel had a right to defend itself while minimising civilian casualties. When asked if this was happening, Donilon said that we needed to be clear that Hamas are the real enemy and that they use civilians as human shields. Donilon suggested that the UK would act in the same way if it had been attacked as Israel has been.
1: Do you think Israel should stop its ground incursion now to avoid killing more innocent people, to get the aid in and to get those hostages out? I think that Israel has a right to defend itself. What we saw the
3: other week was absolutely horrendous. It was a massacre on a scale that was absolutely appalling. We saw the rape of innocent women, children and babies being killed. It was atrocious. So of course they have a right to defend themselves. If that had happened to us, we'd want to be protecting our people, we'd want to be trying to get our hostages back and so Israel has a right to do that. What we've been very clear about though is that they need to do that in a way that is in line with international human rights legislation uh, and that they also need to make sure that they are minimising those Uh, citizens being killed is that what we're seeing do you think so what we're seeing is Israel trying to defend itself we know that Hamas uh, mesh themselves within the system uh, locally we know that they use local people as human shields it is very difficult therefore to target Hamas without hurting innocent people but we have therefore Israel to try
1: sure does that mean you are accepting that more innocent civilians will be killed
3: I'm saying it is very, very difficult because of what Hamas are doing. You know, the enemy here is Hamas. We need to to be be really clear. We've got to be very careful here.
1: I understand what you're saying. Do you accept that it means that more innocent civilians are going to be killed.
3: So what I'm saying is we need to accept who the real enemy is here. Sure. The real enemy is the terrorist organisation Hamas. Who is it that has created all the tunnels underneath the, the local population? And, and Israel's, Hamas. Aim, who is
1: it? Israel's aim, publicly stated aim, is to eliminate Hamas, to wipe out Hamas. And I'm mm. asking you, do you accept that more innocent civilian lives will be lost in order for them to achieve that aim? so what we've said is we want that those losses to be minimized because we don't want to see anybody suffer
3: as a result of the actions of Hamas but they are the enemy here they are the ones that are using local people as human shields they are the ones that when israel says go south they say stay put now that is the problem that israel is is facing but do they have a right to defend themselves of course they do just like we would if that happened on our shores
0: Meanwhile, the rift in Labour's response to the Israeli conflict continues after several prominent Labour politicians publicly disagreed with Keir Starmer and called for a ceasefire. Starmer himself has been in line with the government, supporting a humanitarian pause to allow aid into the region. Labour MP Peter Kyle told Trevor Phillips that diversity was a strength of the party and that many in Labour have links to both sides in the conflict. However, he claimed that Starmer's response was in lockstep with its international partners
4: message of unity will be heard, but not everybody in the Labour Party is on the same page here. Anna Sawa, Andy Burnham, Sadiq Khan, all want you to call for a ceasefire. And, in a sense, pretty much everybody who does not owe their job to Keir Starmer seems to agree that he's got it wrong. It's probably time for him to get off the fence on this one, isn't it? As I said,
5: people through the Labour Party, right through the country yearn for this conflict to end. And that is perfectly understandable. I mean, look at the horrors that are unfolding on but both sides of this. So, we
4: want you to choose a different what, path to w- the way it, it, it's resolved. Why isn't Labour leadership calling for a ceasefire when all these important figures in the party think that's the pathway? What Keir Starmer has done is listened to all of these people in
5: the party who have a direct connection to what is happening and a... Uh, emotional connection to what is happening. He has looked at the evidence, he has looked at what is happening there in Israel and Gaza, and he has come forward with the plan for a paused for a, for a pause for humanitarian purposes, that pause to be used so we can get food, we can get water, we can get fuel, and we can get medical supplies into where it is needed because but Trevor look Trev, Trevor right now what is it, if you look at this crisis through the eyes of the people who are suffering most in Gaza, un- then those people need this stuff
4: right now, today. I so understand. that is what Keir is focused on. Now, we can... I we understand can... the point that you want a humanitarian pause, so does the government, but what Sarwar and Burnham and Khan are saying is you should be calling for a ceasefire. So to be clear, the Labour leader is basically ignoring the views of the three most significant figures in the Labour Party with their own independent mandate. Keir has listened to those views and all
5: other views that have been expressed. Now, it is a strength of the Labour Party, because we're probably the most diverse political party in Europe, it is a strength of the Labour Party that within our party we have people who have a lived uh, connection to both sides in this conflict uh, and they express their views absolutely forthrightly, as they should... Keir has listened to those, looked at the situation on the ground in and Israel teme- no, and Gaza. With and he has come up with a way forward that meets the challenges being faced by people in Gaza today. Now, what's interesting, Trevor, is he came up with this a good few days ago. OK. It entirely at the same time that the US administration called for exactly the same... Australia oh, right. did the same, and then after Keir came out, the EU did too. So we are in lockstep oh. with our international partners, and I think all of the people okay. and the names you've named would want Britain to be in lockstep with the international community because uh, that is le- the only way we will make a difference in, I, I, on the ground. I understand.
0: The controversial US tech company Palantir are close to securing what would be the biggest IT contract in the history of the NHS. The company's CEO, Alex Carp told Derbyshire that its product was set up so they wouldn't be able to sell patients' data. Only the UK government could do that. Derbyshire asked Michelle Donnellan if the government could give assurances that they wouldn't sell data without consent, and Donnellan claimed they are not in the business of damaging people's privacy. Donnellan said it was important not to scare the British public, and that using the data could allow us to tackle some of the country's
1: biggest diseases. You called it an untapped resource. Mm. Um, I asked Alex Karp if he would ever be, his company would ever be in a position to sell on this data. He said it would never be. It's not in his gift. He said it would be down to you. Will you sell on NHS patients' Look, data? we have
3: the uh, some of the world's leading data protection laws. In fact, we've got a bill passing so through Parliament the to the at question the moment. Then. No, we're not in the business of um, damaging people's privacy or rights uh, to to, to data protection. So I'm not going to get into some
1: hypothetical, but what I can tell you... No, no, it's really important because people won't sign up for it. Mm -hmm. People will want to opt out of it if you can't guarantee them, on behalf of the government, that you won't sell on their private data in the future.
3: We're not going to start selling on people's private data, of course not, without their consent. Um, what we're talking about here is enabling us to utilise the data around the NHS to tackle some of the biggest diseases that people are facing so that they can live healthier, longer, happier lives. So I think it's really important that we don't scare the British public when actually we have the opportunity here to grip some of these risks and transform our NHS.
0: Finally, as Britain prepares to host a global summit on AI, Rishi Sunak
3: has been talking about
0: the potential benefits and risks of the technology. Palantir's Alex Karp was positive about it, saying he believed it could be a friend to the worker and increase happiness. He was less positive about the state of global relations, however, suggesting we were in an arms race and that if he was in charge, he would not invite adversarial countries to the summit. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Joe Bedell-Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.